said to dress in layers, and I remember I did this one other time when I had to preach and said I'd never do it again, and Sister Alicia, you're right. The dry fit t-shirt underneath is about to be soaked up here, I believe. A little too many layers on tonight. Amen. On uh, Sunday mornings on in Sunday school, we've been talking about the miracles of Jesus that are in the book of John. And this Wednesday and, and next Wednesday, we're going to be looking at that as well. We're going to continue on in that if you've missed it on Sunday mornings. And you can just hop right in here. And uh, we're talking about uh, the book of John just very quickly for a recap. The book of John, the gospel of John was written for a particular purpose. The other three Gospels were written for a particular audience, and so that's why they're stylized the way they are. But the book of John, he isn't writing to one particular audience, he's writing for a purpose. And it's to show the humanity and the deity of Jesus Christ. That this man was not just a teacher, neither was he all God, but he was fully God and fully man. What does that mean for you and I? That means that he has all power of heaven and earth contained in his body. Yet it also means that he was tempted in all points like as we are. So he knows what I'm going through. And I'm thankful that I serve a God that knows what I'm going through as well, that he can associate with me. And so that's uh, as quickly summarized as possible uh, what the book, the gospel of John, its purpose is. And we're going to pick this up. We are on the uh, third miracle that takes place in the book of John. And remember, the reason that John includes what he does is not just because of a chronology. It's not just because it's the next thing that happens in Jesus' life. It's because he is writing it for a purpose and a reason. And so we pick this up in John chapter 5 tonight. On Sunday, we've talked about water into wine. And, and, and now we're going to follow on to this in John chapter 5. Verse 1, and the nobleman's son as well that was healed. It says, uh, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he said unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, saying, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But when I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed, and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. And tonight we're going to talk about Jesus and what he reveals. And tonight, the rule breaker. The rule breaker. There's a number of rules that are broken in this, and we're going to look at some of them. Uh, and we're also going to take a look at some mats tonight as well. Not people, but an actual mat tonight. But we find in this passage, we find Jesus is entering Jerusalem in the middle of his ministry in Galilee. Jesus spent roughly 18 months of his three-year ministry in Galilee, and he had brief visits outside of it. He kind of had in the middle there this 18 months that were focused in Galilee. And this is one of those moments when he leaves Galilee and goes into Jerusalem. Jesus is now entering the second year of his ministry. So already here in John chapter 5, we've had one full year take place. 
And this second year that Jesus is entering into is really, uh, uh, if, you, if you take, uh, obviously the cross was the most intense moment of Jesus' life, but outside of that, this is really the most intense period of Jesus' life that we read about. This is where things really begin to happen, where his fame really becomes spread abroad. And John uses this story, he uses this miracle here, because it highlights really the, the, the beginning, uh, the public uh, outcry that the Pharisees have, really their hatred of Jesus. And in fact, later on in this chapter, as Jesus explains what has happened, it tells us that this is where, when they began to plot to kill Jesus openly. Until this point, their hatred had been veiled, but now they are actively and openly plotting the demise of Jesus. And we remember from uh, Jesus turning water into wine when he speaks to his mother and he says, woman, my hour is not yet come, that perhaps Jesus has in his mind a divine timeline that is taking place, that he knows that when this happens, that this is going to all fall in place after that. And so we kind of have this idea that this is a key moment on that timeline as the downfall of Jesus begins to be planned. And Jesus enters the temple complex where there was a pool by the sheep gate. The sheep gate was where the lambs and the, and, and the sheep, that's why it's called the sheep gate, were led on their way into the temple to be sacrificed. And there we find the pool of Bethesda, which was two pools split, or one pool split into two. It had a, a colonnade or porch, it tells us five of them, one on each corner, and then there was one in the middle creating the division to make the two pools. In verse 4, it gives us some background as to why there was a crowd that was gathered at this pool. It wasn't just uh, some place that people gathered for refreshment or some place that people gathered for rest, but verse 4 tells us the reason that all of these people were gathered together. And it appears that there was an angel who would trouble the water at certain times. And it goes that the first person that would enter into the water when it was troubled would be healed of whatever disease they had. There appears to be no set times that this occurred, whether it was daily, whether it was every other month, whether it was once a year. And we don't know that it was, it were, it's not recorded that it was any particular routine to it. So it could happen whenever. At, at any moment. So there was this continual throng of, of the sick and of the disease that gathered at this pool daily. It must have been quite a sight as people would enter the temple by this way. Who knows how many people. I would imagine that there were probably hundreds, not just one or two, but hundreds of people that were sick, that were infirm, that possibly had traveled there, that perhaps like this man that we read about went there every single day. What a sight that must have been of hundreds of sick people. And then imagine if the water is troubled, the sight that would meet your eyes as they're scrambling and fighting to get in there. It must have been quite the sight. And it was into this scene that Jesus walks, and he chooses one particular man to talk to. Now, we are not sure the reasons of, of why he chose to speak to this man. But we, and, and in fact, we don't know a whole lot about this man. We're not given the age of this man. We are not told the circumstances of his condition, if he was born this way, if there was an accident that happened. But we do know that the man was, the scripture says, impotent or infirm. Judging by later on comments, we can kind of surmise that his infirmity was a paralysis of some sort, whether it was full paralysis or partial paralysis, whatever it was, it was a sickness that did not allow the man to make his own way into the pool. In fact, did not allow him to even get to the pool by himself. 
And so we can conclude that this man suffered from some form of paralysis. And in fact, Scripture tells us, we we read right at the start there, the few things that we do know about this man. It says, which had an infirmity 30 and 8 years. We know that this man had been in this state for 38 years. That's a long time. It doesn't matter how old you are. To be sick of a condition for 38 years is a pretty long time to be sick of that condition. Now, this specific, this, this specific knowledge that it was 38 years perhaps lends itself to the idea that this man had been there so long that everybody knew this man. He'd been there every day for 38 years as far as we can gather, so he was uh, like a roadside attraction, if you would, almost. This guy was going to be there every year, whether people came to the temple every day or if people came every year, this guy was there all the time because of the length of his illness and his continued presence at the pool. Again, we don't know if the man was born this way or if this was some affliction that occurred later on in his life. But we do know that the average lifespan of the, of the person during that time wasn't much more than 40. So his entire life pretty much had been spent in infirmity. This means he had sat in that spot and he had been in that condition for most other people's lifetimes. His infirmity was older than most people that walked him by. He had a lifetime of infirmity. And the first thing that this story lets me know, that this story of the infirm man lets me know, is that with God, it's never too late. It's never too late for God. It's never past the point of no return for God. It's never at the point where God says, you know what, that's been going on too long. That's too deep an issue. That's too far gone. No, it's never too late for God. I'm thankful for our 11th hour God. I'm thankful for that in salvation. I'm thankful for that in healing. That sometimes I don't think he's on time. Sometimes I think he might have missed the moment, but I know that God is never too late, that he is always on time. I I think it's, it's interesting to note, too, that it's never not worth it to God. It doesn't matter how long you've had an issue in your life. It's never too late for God. It's never too late for God to heal, for God to deliver. But, but it's, it's, it's never not worth it to God. Now, I'm going to step back, and I'm going to take away the fact that this man had friends, possibly, and he had family, had people that brought him there, so there was people that cared about him. If you would, to just be cold-hearted for a moment and step back from this situation. This guy had been sick for 38 years. So if he was born that way, he's 38 years old. If, he got, if this happened later on in life, obviously he's older than that. And the average lifespan is 40 years old. Now just think about that. Of all the people that were there, there was probably a lot younger people that had a lot more of life ahead of them. I'm saying step back and look at the cold hard facts of this. This guy probably, in, the, in looking at it, who had the most to gain by being healed? He probably had the least because and the reality was he probably didn't have too much longer to live whether he was healed or not. I said, just be cold for a minute. Now we'll get all warm. I'm blazing hot, so I don't have to get warm. But he, he probably, of all the people there, if you were looking at it objectively, if you were looking at it logically, you would maybe look for a young person that had a lot to offer if they were healed. You might look for somebody who had more uh, uh, talents or somebody. But I, I want to tell you that it's never not worth it 
to God. He might not have been too far from death. He might not have had a whole lot of life after this. And it might have made more sense for someone else to be healed. But God's value system is different than mine. Let me say this, that you are always worth the miracle. It doesn't matter how far gone you are. You are always worth the miracle. You're never too far gone. It's never too late. You're never too far gone because God always looks at, he doesn't value you the same way. No, he saw a man that needed healed and he didn't matter whether logically it made sense to heal this guy. It didn't matter logically whether this was the way it should be. No, he looked down and had compassion and say he deserves to get his miracle. I want to encourage you tonight that you are worth the miracle that God has for you in your life. You are worth deliverance. You are worth healing. You don't have to sit back and just say, well, I'm just, no, God is, you are worth far more to God than you realize. It's never too late to receive a miracle, and you're always worth the miracle. Don't ever let the enemy con you out of your miracle by saying you're not worth it. You're too far gone. It's too late. There's no point. No, you're always worth it with God. We find that Jesus recognizes that the man has been there a long time. Again, whether this was a well-known fact because everybody knew this guy or the man's immediate circumstances demonstrated this, we aren't sure. In fact, I was reading something this afternoon. I was looking and one person said that, well, he was 38 years old, so he was probably considered an old guy at this time. And he had to have people bring him there, so he probably wasn't real good at taking care of himself. So Jesus knew that this guy was in a rough state because he was just some smelly old man laying there. So that'll probably be me, some smelly old man laying there because I've got too many layers on. <laughs> but we come to the second point in this story, and there's, as I, there, there's a whole lot of, of things you can get into with this story. But the second thing I want to look at tonight is Jesus asked the man a question. He says, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? You know, if you read the questions of Jesus, he asks some dumb questions it looks like sometimes. He asked the blind man, what do you want me to do for you? He asked a guy who's been sick for 38 years laying by a pool, a smelly old man. He says, do you want to get well? That seems like a really strange question to ask. Almost every medical research into chronic illness and the leading causes of death in the U.S. through disease, they lead to unequivocal results, something that cannot be argued. And it comes to this, that if we as a nation would consume less tobacco, and less alcohol, if we would eat better and get some exercise, we would see a decrease in chronic illness to a drop of almost 40% in death by cancer, heart attack, stroke, chronic respiratory disease, and even unintentional injury deaths. That's almost half of those deaths would be cut in half if we would smoke less, drink less, exercise, and eat a little bit better. It's pretty easy there, right? Until you walk down the chip aisle. We spend, it's probably not even possible to get an accurate count on how many billions of dollars in research are spent on heart uh, conditions, cancer, strokes, chronic respiratory disease. There's probably no way to even calculate how many billions of dollars in research are spent finding cures for each of these things. But uh, research tells us, studies tells us that if we would simply quit addictive substances, exercise and eat healthier, over one million lives annually would be saved with no extra medicine. One million people would be saved. Now, I, 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 you know, how, I don't think there's anyone in here who would raise their hand and say, yeah, I want that. 
<laughs> but then let's look at the other. How many of us really eat that well? How many of us really exercise? I mean, I did walk up here tonight, so there's a couple steps, so that counts, I guess. <laughs> While the words wish and whim hint at a desire, the word want hits, it hints more at an intentional desire. He didn't ask him, do you wish to get well? Because uh, he, it, it, I'm sure the guy wished to get well, but he was looking at a deeper question. Do you want to get well? The word one seems to have a little more action behind it than just mere wishing. And, and, and it's interesting here that we, we find Jesus asking this question. Uh, another statistic is over a million and a half people have a coronary bypass every year. And every single one of them is told by their doctor afterwards that the, the bypass is a temporary fix. If you want this to last and to work, you will have to make lifestyle changes. You're going to have to eat better. You're going to have to get a little bit of exercise. But statistics show that after two years, 90% of people who receive a coronary bypass have not made any lasting lifestyle changes. That means for every nine out of ten people, they choose not to do that. They choose to continue living life as they are. Now, if you would ask those people, do you want to have another heart issue? I don't know if any of them would say, yeah, I really want to have another bypass. Yeah, I'd really like to have a quadruple this time instead of just a single. I'd really like to spend more time under the knife this time. Yet nine out of every 10 people that receive a heart bypass haven't made any changes in their life. Jesus asked the guy, do you want to get better? Do you want to be made whole? In fact, that illustration of the coronary bypass is the ultimate illustration of rather die than change. And see, this man was faced with some choices. He'd had the same lifestyle for 38 years. If Jesus healed him, there's going to be some drastic changes in his life. There's going to be some big changes in his life. He may have wished for healing, but did he really want healing? He may have said, oh, the day I could just get in that pool, the day that I could just be made whole. But when he stops and thinks about it, that means he's going to have to get a job for the first time in his life. He's going to have to have provision for the first time in his life. He might have to go a day in his life where people don't come to his house and take care of him. He's going to have to make some big changes. Jesus didn't ask him if he wished to get well. He said, do you want to get well? The obvious, it seems like an obvious fact because he's sitting next to a pool that is known for healing. But Jesus asks it. Monotony and the same thing every day may be boring, but it's also the same thing, the safe thing, sorry, even if it's an infirmity. You see, this man had become comfortable and safe in his sickness. That seems a little bit odd to say. But he, he, he did the same thing every single day. Somebody came to his house. They picked him up on his stretcher or mat or whatever it was. They carried him to the, to the pool, and he sat there all day. He watched the water. Sometimes the water moved, and he tried to get in. And then other days it didn't. He just sat there all day, and at the end of the day, someone would come pick him up and take him back home. That's what he did every day. It seems monotonous. It seems boring. Why wouldn't someone want to get out of that uh, repetitious cycle? Why wouldn't someone want to get out of that? But this man had made his mat his security blanket. It would become a way of life, his infirmity, his sickness. Sometimes in the same way our infirmity has become such a way of life that it has almost become our security. 
And I'm not talking here just about physical sickness, but things that we have dealt with for years that we say, well, yeah, I'd like to get rid of it. But really, the changes that would come if we get rid of that in our life, are we really ready for them? Do we really want to be made whole or has it really become such a way of life that it's security now? And see, I wonder how many of us limit miracles in our own lives because we don't really want the miracle because we know the changes that we'll have to make are going to be pretty big. We might not get the same attention. We might not get the same help, the same pity, the same service if we lose our infirmity. You might have to lose certain thought patterns. You might have to lose certain attitudes. You know, it's amazing about this man, and this is something else a little bit entirely, but this man, uh, if he was fully paralyzed, partially paralyzed, we know that this was not a sinful man by his actions. He wasn't out beating people up. He wasn't out mugging people. He couldn't move. And it's interesting, at the end of this story, it closes by Jesus going and finding the guy later and telling him, hey, you better watch yourself because you've got a lot of sin in your life, and I've healed you, and you better not sin anymore. Now, just think about that for a minute. The guy did no actionable sins. He couldn't, unless he's laying there biting people. I don't know. Maybe he did. What does that tell you? That tells you it's possible to be full of sin and it'll all be your thoughts, your attitudes, your mindset, just like this man was. It's possible to have that in your life. And you know what? He had to lose that because he was living in sin, because he was paralyzed and living in sin. That's a strange statement to make. He was paralyzed living in sin because of his thoughts, his attitudes, all of those things going on, the excuses that he was making. And sometimes it becomes easier to hide behind our inadequacies. It's easier to hide behind those than to change. It's easier to hide behind that than to really experience something of deliverance in our life. We say, well, it's just my personality. Well, I'm just Irish. Well, I'm the middle child. Well, it's just my upbringing. And so that's the way that I am. Well, you know what? When Jesus heals you of that issue, you got to lose all the excuses for acting that way. you got to lose all that stuff. And sometimes that's just how we live life now. That's just our security now. That's just who we are. And see, we wish for a miracle, but we don't really want to be made whole. You see, a miracle comes with a responsibility that if Jesus transformed me, I must live transformed. If Jesus heals my legs, you know what? That guy can't get up the next morning and be like, hey, where's my buddies to carry me to the pool? No, life's different from this point on. You know what? When, when God takes care of my depression, I can't wake up depressed the next morning. I can't wake up and do the same things. I can't wake up and do the same and go in the same situation. No, I've got to be different because God has done something in my life. I've got to live different. I've got to act different at this point. The question he asks is still the question for you and I today. Do we really want to be made well? There's people that don't want to get out of their sin at this point. And so you know what? God can't save them. There's people that don't want to be healed. There's people that, because they realize the changes that will have to be made. And so Jesus asked the same question today. Do you really want to be made well? Remembering that a miracle comes with a responsibility to change. Which leads us to the man's response. Sir, I have no man. How many ladies can say, no, I'm joking. (laughs) Galatians chapter 6 first few verses of Galatians, verses 1 through 5, it says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. 
Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth, deceiveth himself. But let, let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. We find in the words of Paul, we find here the, the paradox that we are presented with in this story. There's, there's a paradox here. Because we see that Paul tells the Galatians in, verse, in the first few verses, he tells them to bear one another's burdens. At some level, it depends on how you read this story. You either feel sorry for this guy or you get mad at this guy. Depends on how you read it. Maybe you can be both. But we see Paul tells the Galatians to bear one another's burdens, and the question is asked, this guy has sat there for 38 years, and nobody has ever helped this man. Nobody's ever helped him. People knew this guy, I'm sure. People had seen him, perhaps someone that had, he, that had jumped uh, over him or clawed over him in the way to get in the pool. You'd think maybe next year they would come back, or next time they would come back, and this time, because they were healed the time before, they'd help this guy get in. But no, that never happened. Then we see in verse 5 of Galatians, it states that every man shall bear his own burden. Seems to be a contradiction happening here. It is, and it's the two sides of a situation. You see, this man found himself waiting for someone to come help him bear his burden. Sir, I have no one to put me in. Year after year, time after time, he was waiting for someone to push him in. I'm, there had to have been a kid that wanted to do it at least, some mean kid, but no. This man found himself waiting for someone every single time to help him bear his burden. Let me just say, and I'm going to spend a whole lot of time on this because time's moving on. If you're waiting for someone to put you in, you might need to start bearing your own burden. <laughs> Let me say, if you get to heaven and you, well, you won't be in heaven, but if you get up there and you start talking to Jesus and you start getting to, you get to the, the throne of judgment and you don't make it, you can't put blame on anybody else. You're not going to be able to stand in front of them and say, sir, there was nobody to push me in. And here's the reason why. There's no pool anymore. It's Jesus. There's no pool that you need pushed into anymore. It's just Jesus. And Scripture tells me that I have access whenever I want, that I can call upon His name, and He is there. I don't need anyone to push me. It all falls on me. Well, I just want somebody to do this. I just want somebody to do that. If that's your excuse for not doing anything, that excuse is not going to hold up on the day of judgment. That excuse is not going to hold up when you face Jesus. There's not going to be any, sir, there's nobody to put me in. Because all have access now. Understand that the man was looking to the pool for his answer. For his need to be met. Meanwhile, the creator of the universe, wrapped in flesh, was standing right next to him. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this because I don't want to get in trouble. But we like to look to a lot of things other than God. Well, the church won't this. This person won't do that. They didn't shake my hand. They didn't talk to me. If only the church would do this. And our attention is focused on everything else except Jesus Christ. Our answer is in Jesus Christ. Our answer is found in Him. Everything that I need is in Jesus Christ. And I wonder how many times I'm looking at everything else and blaming everything else, and Jesus is standing right next to me the whole time. 
Let's move on. The other side of Paul's words in Galatians, though, remind us. They remind us of the other side of the story. That I can't just pawn off everybody and say, well, they just need to do it for themselves. Because it tells me, if I see someone with a burden, then I need to help someone out with that. I can't sit there and wait for everyone to come help me out. But if I see somebody, I should go help them out. Uh, John tells us in in his letters uh, later on, he says, you can't love God but not love your brother. You can't have that kind of thing going on. You can't say, oh, I love him. Oh, I've got it, me and Jesus going on. But then ignore your brother around you. No, if you see someone sitting by the pool and they're struggling and they're having a rough time, it's not your job to say, well, they just need to get up and do it themselves. No, I have a responsibility to help them out. This parable, uh, not parable, miracle has a lot of similarities with the, the paralytic man whose friends took him up on the roof. In fact, it's the two sides of the story. His friends took him up on the roof and they tore the roof off and led him down inside there. They saw a guy who needed help and they helped him out. And Jesus is asking this guy who sat there for 38 years, how come you haven't done anything really? We see the parallel. I'm to be willing to help someone, but I'm not supposed to wait for someone to do it for me. We need to finish up here. On the same day was the Sabbath. Rules had to be broken for this miracle to happen. Jesus did not just happen across this man, and it didn't just happen to be the Sabbath. He found this man and knew exactly what day it was and knew what he was doing when he did it. You see, it was all right for the man to walk. It wasn't that that was the issue. The issue that everybody had with this miracle was that the man carried his mat. There are 39 different parent laws concerning what could be done on the Sabbath. These parent laws contained descendant laws underneath them. The parent law was that no plowing could be done on the Sabbath. The descendant law was that you couldn't dig a hole either. The parent law was that no reaping could be done. The descendant law included you couldn't pluck a head of wheat, neither could ladies look in the mirror on the Sabbath in case they saw a gray hair and plucked the gray hair. They couldn't reap the gray hair. The parent law was that no burden could be carried. The descendant law was that no mat could be carried either. It was all right to carry a mat or a bed as long as somebody was on it, but you just couldn't carry around an empty mat. According to the burden law as well, you couldn't wear false teeth on the Sabbath either because you were carrying something. (laughs) So if you got false teeth and gray hair, the Sabbath was not a good day. And each of these, according to how they had set it up, each of these were punishable by stoning if it was done knowingly. And Jesus, pull a gray hair and get stoned for it. Man, knock your false teeth out. And Jesus, knowing all this, he healed this man on the Sabbath and told him to pick up his mat, knowing that that was against the law. He didn't care about the letter of law, but he cared about the spirit of the law. I think it's very important for us in this day and age to understand that he cares about the spirit of the law, and I need to be concerned about the spirit of the law. Sometimes the letter of the law isn't met, but I'm not necessarily concerned about the letter of the law. I'm concerned about the spirit of the law, because the scripture tells me if I'm going to live by the letter of the law, then I, I get what's coming my way. And let me tell you, you can't handle what you deserve. You can't handle the wages of sin that you deserve. You can't handle what should be coming your way, but no, God understands the spirit of the law and by his grace and his mercy I'm not bound to the law but I'm bound to his grace and his mercy 
He was not bound by how it should be or how it was supposed to be done. He wasn't bound by the regulations of this is how it has to happen. And you know what? You need to come back tomorrow because today's the Sabbath. You know what? I wish we could get the same way where it's all right for God to do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. Whenever he wants to move in a service, whenever he wants to move in my life, it might not be the prescribed moment. It might not even seem to be the right time or the right way for God to move. Move, But if God moves, then that's all right with me. Whenever he wants to move, it's fine with me. However he wants to move, it's all right with me. Let me say, it doesn't matter to me how revival comes. It doesn't matter if it comes because of some book I read. It doesn't matter if it follows the same pattern of something else. It doesn't matter if God creates a whole new way to send revival. It doesn't matter to me. I just want to have revival in this church. I just want to have revival in this community. I just want to have revival in my life. I don't want to bind God to certain laws and certain ways that it should be done. I just want God to do it however he wants to. This guy who had been lame for 38 years is suddenly walking around and he's doing what, what, what every, probably what any other lame man had been, had been lame for 38 years would do. He's, he's probably running around doing all kinds of stuff. And this is the attitude that can suddenly, after, after we've been in it for a while, after we've been in the way for a while, <laughs> sometimes this is the attitude we can take. And I'm going to say this because my, my, uh, I'm going to blame it all on my personality. <laughs> I, can, I can tend to be a little critical sometimes. In fact, it, it, it annoys me that I can be critical so much. Sometimes I have to pray about it. I have to watch it. That's not the way it should be done or that's not how it's supposed to happen. Well, just, why don't you just go pray about it for a while? I was talking to myself there. But the Pharisees see this guy, and he's breaking all the laws. He's, 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 this guy's been healed. And all the Pharisees can see they, don't see, they don't see the man walking. They don't see the people in awe. They don't see that the spirit of the Sabbath is fulfilled. The spirit of the Sabbath was a day for rest. And this guy had rest physically in his body now. He had a rest like he never could have had before. They don't understand that the spirit of the law was fulfilled. All they see is a guy carrying a mat. That's all they see. And let me tell you, you can start getting a critical eye. You can start getting something down in your spirit. And before long, all you're going to start seeing are mats everywhere. And you're going to start missing the miracles that God is doing already in our midst. Just because I'm so concerned about how it should be done or this is the way it should be done. I I said it on a Sunday morning. I believe that God's doing miracles right now. I want to see greater things, but I also want to see what he's doing right now. And I don't want to get so caught up by the mats that I see. Well, that's not how I would do it. Or who? I don't think they should have received that miracle or that person isn't worth. No, I don't want to miss the miracles that God is doing. I want to get rid of any criticism. I want to get rid of anything like that out of my spirit and in my heart because I want to see what God is doing. And I'm finishing up. I I had a lot of points and I did every other page. No, I'm joking. (laughs) I know I print (laughs) double-sided. And I kind of mentioned this on Sunday morning, but I couldn't get away from it. There's a Lego guy up here. I couldn't get away from, uh, from it again this week, and I, I, I don't know why, but perhaps someone needs to hear it tonight. Jesus simply utters the words, rise, take up thy bed, and walk. It's interesting to note 
the seemingly absent lack of faith or the complete uh, lack of faith that's present in this story. This guy never says, yes, I want to be healed. He never says, you can do it, Lord. He never says anything like that. It's kind of an interesting thing. But Jesus tells him, rise, take up thy bed and walk. And again, I, I mentioned this Sunday, but I just feel to mention it again tonight as we close. When Jesus told the man to get up and walk, He was telling that man to do something he possibly had never done in his life. At the very least, he hadn't done it for 38 years. Think about that. Jesus told him to do something he hadn't done for 38 years. Contained in the words for this man to do something, though, something that he had no power to do on his own. He may possibly have never even walked before. But contained in the words, rise, take up, and walk, was the power to rise, take up, and walk. In those words was the power. Just think about what had to happen to this guy. How many of you ever, I I, I don't know if you ever, maybe this is a weird thing that only happens to me. There's some of those things. But sometimes when I'm sleeping, sometimes both arms go under the pillow. Not all the time, just occasionally. And I don't know how long I've been asleep, but then I'll wake up and both arms are asleep. Has anyone ever done that? (laughs) And then you're trying to get your arms out, but they're both asleep and you're going, you're flopping like a fish. And it's probably only been about 45 minutes, but you can't move your arms because they're asleep. Or if you've been, if you've had to be on rest for a while and you haven't, you, you know, you haven't been able to get up, your muscles start to stiffen. They start to atrophy. Think about all that had to happen for this man to actually walk. It wasn't as simple as just, if I tell someone to get up and walk, and they get up and walk. It's not as simple as that. This guy probably had to grow muscles. Muscles that hadn't been used for 38 years. Tendons probably had to be strengthened. Maybe even the bones had to be strengthened and lengthened. I I, I don't know. Possibly ligaments had to grow for this guy simply to stand up. Simply to rise up. But when Jesus said rise and that man began to make a movement, all of a sudden, all of that took place with just those words. Contained in those words was the power to accomplish those words. Contained in the words rise was all the issues, all the challenges, all the reasons why and why not. They were all taken together and thrown into that word rise. And Jesus gave the power to accomplish everything in just those words. And I feel to challenge somebody that's heard God speak to you in some way. I'm here to challenge somebody that God has dropped something into your spirit at some point. And you're struggling with the reality of it, with the possibility of it. Let me remind you that contained in the words that he spoke is the power to accomplish those words. If he said go, he'll give you the power to go. If he said witness, he'll give you the power to witness. If he said be used in this way, contained in that is the power to be used in that fashion. And I'm not talking about just an audible voice from God. In fact, I've never heard an audible voice from God. I've never had a dream that made any sense in reality that I know of yet. My arms fall asleep and I flop around like a fish. 
I've never had anything, but I know when God speaks to me. I know what it feels like uh, to have God speak to me. And I've had God speak to me things, and I've had a whole list of reasons why. In fact, I've sat down and made lists of why this can't work. How could this work out? I don't know how this, but you know what? And that's what my mind gets focused on. But when God put the word in my spirit, contained in that word was the power to accomplish everything. I don't know how the muscles are going to grow. I don't know how the finances will happen. I don't know how the tendons will be strengthened. I don't know how the doors will be opened. But I need to start trusting God that if he said it, then contained in that is the power to do what he said I can do. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2 says, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with the faith in them that heard it. Let me just say, some people don't need any more words. You're still looking for confirmation. You're still wondering, is this God? Is this real? Or was this my arms falling asleep last night? You're what? I just need something else. Some people don't need any more words. You just need to start mixing in your life. You see, this verse is amazing to me because it says, as powerful as the gospel is, the gospel cannot do anything unless I mix my faith with it, unless I put myself with it. My faith activates the power of the gospel. Your rising activates the power to rise. If God called you to witness, then you starting to witness activates the power to witness. If God called you to a ministry, then you taking a step towards that ministry activates the power to accomplish the ministry. You understand that? So I want to challenge you tonight, those that may have felt the stirring of God, those that may have felt something happen, I'm here to challenge you tonight. Get ready to roll up your mat. Get ready to walk and take up your mat and go do what God has called you to do. You see, the problem with this guy is he, he, he was always looking down. It says, I've got nobody to take me down. I have no one to take me down the steps. And you keep wondering about all the steps. You keep wondering, how am I going to do this? And then what's the next step? And then what's the next step to the pool? And all you're worried about is the steps. And Jesus says, I want you to quit worrying about the steps. I just want you to get your mat and I want you to take off walking. I want you to take off doing what I've called you to do. And I'm here to challenge you. You need to quit looking down at the steps and look up and arise and do what God has called you to do. And let me remind you, he, he, he told this guy to do something that he hadn't done for 38 years. There's people in this place that God spoke to you years ago. There's people in this place that God stirred your heart. It could have been 38 years ago for all I know. And let me just say, it's never too late for God to use you. It's never too late to start mixing faith what God told you to do. It's never too late to preach your first sermon. It's never too late to teach your first Sunday school class. It's never too late to teach your first Bible study. It's never too late. But I just want to challenge you, if God has spoken into your life, then you need to simply begin mixing your faith with what he said in your life. I wonder how many ministries, how many endeavors, how many callings and gifts are laying on the mat right now, just within our own church. Words that God has spoke, and what's got in the way is the steps. God, I don't know how. You don't understand, it's not just an issue of me getting up. I haven't walked in 38 years. 
there, there's a whole lot of things that have to happen for me just to walk and do what you said. There's a whole lot of reasons why I can or can't do what you've called me to do. And we become so focused on the pool and how to get in the pool and how to make it happen. You're missing the fact that Jesus is right next to you. And he spoke the words. And if he spoke the words, the power to do it is in the words. As we stand this evening. And I know, like I said, I hit on this. It's probably with every miracle that we talk about because contained in every miracle, we've said that in every miracle, there's usually some human input of some form or fashion. In every miracle, Jesus tells the person to do something. And it's when the person does something that something happens. It doesn't just happen. You got to rise. You got to go. You got to fill the water pots. You got to do something. You got to believe that when he said the word that the son was healed, you got to do something about it. And I'm here to challenge somebody tonight. Like I said, it, it, it could be 38 years. It could be a 38-year-old thing. It could be something that you may have never even done before. And the enemy would like nothing more than for you to focus on the steps. Because you know what? The steps get daunting. The steps, before long, you, you don't even realize how long you've waited for God to come and do something. It's been years. It's been months. But I'm here to challenge you tonight. Why don't you begin stirring? Why don't you begin mixing a little faith with what God has said? Paul tells Timothy to stir up the gift. Begin doing that by adding some faith and saying, Lord, I know you spoke it, so I'm going to begin to take some small steps of faith. I'm going to begin to roll up that mat. And if you heal me, that's great. I'm going to follow and continue in what you've told me to do. I want us to pray tonight. Lord Jesus, we come before you. Lord, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for your power. And Lord, I pray that there would be a challenge that goes forth. God, that you have spoke things to people. You have dropped things in people's spirits and services and their prayer times things that they felt that they need to do or that you have called them to do and, and the steps, the challenges, Lord, our focus has shifted to the pool and, and all the reasons why we can't. But Lord, I ask you that you would remind somebody tonight that when you spoke to them, you gave them the power to perform what you have called them to do. Lord, I ask you to help us to begin mixing faith with, with what you have called us to do. That you would help us to begin mixing something in with that, that we would begin to take the steps, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would challenge somebody right now, God. It may be something that they've never done before. It may be something that they haven't done for a long time. But Lord, I pray that you would challenge somebody. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. I'm reminded of, of my grandparents. They're both passed away. They first uh, pastored in the early 40s in Pennsylvania, and then from 1945 until the mid-90s, never pastored again. They did various things. They were in their 70s. It had been over 38 years. They were in their 70s, and what they were doing, their work that they had been doing had come to a close, but they still didn't feel like God was done with them yet. It's never too late. It's never not worth it for God. What can God do with a 70-year-old couple? It's time to relax and enjoy your grandkids like me. They would stick a cup of water on the door when they come to visit. Hopefully it would fall on one of them. It's time to enjoy that kind of stuff. 
God spoke to them, and they, they went and pastored a church in Austria. Never ceases to amaze me. They went and pastored a church in Austria in their, in their mid-70s. They lived in the church. Didn't have another house. They lived in the church. My grandpa had two knee replacements, and he had to go upstairs to where they were. Never ceases to amaze me that even at that point in their life, they're still saying, God, it's not too late. I'm not too old to do something for you. I don't, I don't care how long it's been. I don't care what it is. But, Lord, if you've, if you've spoke to me, contained in the words are the power to do what you have called me to do. You know what? If we want to see revival, that means I'm going to have to make some changes. I'm going to have to do some things that I may not understand all the steps. I may not understand how it's all going to figure out, but I'm going to have to start trusting in his power to do what he said he's going to do. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here in service tonight. I pray that the Lord has challenged you in some way. I pray that you leave here asking yourself, do I want to be made whole? Am I willing to do what it takes? And Lord, whatever I'm, I need to do, Lord, I'm going to do it for you. Amen. You're dismissed tonight in Jesus' name.